0: The starting lineup for your. Jay Stills, what's up, guys? I a slacker. Baby. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless you, man. What the
1: hell's going on out here? Oh, fuck it. Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. My name is JT Chipman, filling in for host duties this week. From the pod, Father Jed. Well, he is off cavorting with with F1 Racers and Harry Styles. We also have the great Evan Fagundis here. Hey, great to How be you here, doing, Evan. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're going to talk about horror movies because yes. that's what we that's what we do when Jed isn't around. And we're going to talk about a horror movie in a movie theater, which uh, it, it might be getting a bit old at this point to say, oh, we're going to talk about a movie in a movie theater. Right but our previous horror movie conversations have been like some streaming stuff or some old school stuff so yeah. we got something we got something fresh and we've got some original ip so i'm excited to talk about it and we're talking about the black
0: phone Evan, yes we are the black phone? i don't I, I didn't i didn't love it i didn't love it i don't want to okay. say it, it almost sounds strong to say i liked it even but mm. i can say that because there's enough in there that i enjoyed that, that i can say i liked it it's just one of those it's like sitting right in there you know like two and a half out of five almost like right dead in the middle where it's definitely enjoyable enough to get through and if somebody you know when it came out on uh, a streamer like wanted to watch it with me i'd i'd watch it again you know it's definitely not one that i'm like tucking away um but it's also not one that i need to go back to the theater to see or or, or you know kind of demand people go go to see what what about you how
1: do you feel yeah, I don't think I'm going to be, like, gathering a militia, right? To, I'm not going to be militarizing. I'm, is, 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 there's not going to be a hive around the It's this not the empty map. man. I don't, I don't think. No, it's not the yeah. empty man because not everything can be, of course. But I, I had, like, a perfectly fine time at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of horror movies on the big screen this year. We saw this and we saw the new Scream. Yes. Uh, which 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 I did enjoy. Um, this was interesting though because there were more people in the theater. Scream it was it was, it was empty, um, mm-hmm. which which was a bit surprising because that is a, a franchise and that made plenty of money too. But people, I think there's some 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 word of mouth about this movie. I think there was some buzz around it too. Uh, in general the the aura around this movie does have some stephen king to it it has a lot of stephen king to it so it's based on a short story written by stephen king's biological son mm-hmm. uh, and you you can really feel a lot of it so when i think about traditional stephen king aura it's like a small town We're thinking about kids on bikes long hair you know maybe maybe a bit of a maybe some losers some outcasts Uh, And they've got, there's some supernatural elements up against some great evil. You know, King loves that uh, Mm -hmm. great good versus evil battle. Um, And you see a lot of that in this movie. Mm -hmm. Are you, do you think you're tired of that, you know, kind of invading most horror movies these days? I I have some thoughts on it, but I don't, I don't know if
0: I'm fully tired of it. And I want to know what you think. Well, so one thing that, that Stephen King, like, stories have a lot too is like, there's a lot of, like, myth-making in, in yeah. his movies, right? Like, there's a lot of people um, knowing about this ultimate evil, like you're discussing, and and almost talking amongst themselves as if it's just a normal part of the community, and, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a clear evil. Um, but it, it kind of reminds me of, like, a movie like It in that way, where it's just, like, everyone pretty much knows this is happening – but they still demand, you know, the baseball games and, and riding on bikes by themselves in neighborhoods like you're just not going to not do that. Um, even in this movie, it's almost comical at a certain point, like how little care the parents seem to be giving until like the, the children are actually snatched. Um, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, though. I'm not sure. I definitely am a little bit burned out on specifically Stephen King or Stephen King adjacent stories uh, are being told and kind of the repetitiveness of those. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're seeing it kind of permeating the genre as a whole. I'm curious to kind of hear about that.
1: Yeah. I just think that, you know, I, I think this is, I think this movie is actually a bit better about it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: that, you know, I mean, it, it's funny because it is directly from his line, uh, from, from his lineage, from his son. Um, I, I do think as well, so the original short story, um, Ethan Hawke's character, the grabber, uh, instead of being magician, I do believe he was in fact a clown, mm. um, So a a wise choice to change, you know, we don't Mm -hmm. need too many similarities. And I think that uh, uh, Joe Hill is his name. And I think that he was very much on board with Derrickson's decision to change uh, from a clown because Mm -hmm. you you can have a little separation there. But (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm really interested in myth making and with, you know, visionaries who can create and structure like entire worlds and like like like. I'm thinking about this even with like J.R. Tolkien recently, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, I mean, he gets down to brass tacks, where he's doing like languages and histories and yeah. appendices about elves and all that, right? And like Stephen King's got some of that with his, you know, longer series, but he he's he's just got the basic structure in place that I think is very recognizable, um, and you know, it, it typically the kids come out on top because typically it's about kids, right? Or mm-hmm. or youth, juvenile, and it's. They they save their childhood. They they rescue back their their youth from whatever monster or creature they're going up against. And I don't know. I guess I kind of find that inspiring. And you know, kid actors not always great with me. We'll talk more about that later. I'm sure. yeah. But you know, I, I think I like it a little bit more in his book. It's it's easier to you know in, 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 when you're reading one of his books, you can structure your own kids and you can mm-hmm. let your imagination run with it. And but the movies as well. Some of them can it can really work on me um and i think i look back on my own childhood and i'm like oh i can put myself in those in their shoes Mm -hmm. and you know you talked you mentioned a movie i think to me about days about days and confused yeah you had some vibes there and one of the points i made on that podcast was i wish my childhood was more like this and i wish i Mm -hmm. had more i don't know if i uh, maybe if i asked for more freedom from my parents then i'd be grabbed (laughs) I, i would be on the receiving end but I wish that I was in that era where it's baseball games and riding your bike by yourself. Uh, you know there's there's fights before school without consequence. So like yes. uh, the, the Robin, right? He's one of one of the the main character's friends and he just beats the crap out of some dude. Yeah. Like does the Rob Pat just punch and punch while he's on the ground and then is just like in school with bloody knuckles and no one seems to so bat an eye. It's like oh they're just working it out. They're just yes. you know. It's it's You know, let boys be boys kind of has negative consequences now, but that to me is like a a nicer example of that. So um, I guess I'm kind of I'm I'm vamping a little bit, but I just I just still enjoy it and I'm still okay with um, seeing that representation on screen. So it'll it may get old eventually, but for now, I'm kind of riding
0: with it. I totally agree. It definitely has that dazed and confused feel, especially at the beginning of the movie where like enjoying childhood almost seems essential and -hmm. and that kind of goes back to what I was saying in uh about you know it almost being kind of comical how many how fast kids are going missing and how each kid is still just like all right tell dad I'll be home you know tomorrow afternoon I'm like going over to Debbie's house you know it's just it it makes it seem that like going and hanging out with friends playing in your baseball game um you know taking on bullies is, like, what you just have to do. There is no choice in, in like, a, whether it's a Linklater movie or um, in a movie like this. There's no, there's no world in which everyone's going to be locking their kid up, you know, at 7 o'clock at night to make sure right. that they're not out for the grabber, which is really, is really cool, and it does kind of give that Hangout vibe. And, you know, Stephen King-type stories, I know this is his sons, um, they do have that, like, childlike triumph. Often mm-hmm. at the end of the movies too, you're you're gonna get that slow mo shot of you know the kid getting the win and, and and maybe some kids being reunited and kind of being able to, um they're always like changed at the at the end of these types of stories but often they get like their almost hero type moment, um which is probably part of what makes this movie enjoyable like if this movie the way it played out ended on a real sour note or like on a death or something I think it I probably would have stronger feelings against it just because it would just feel unnecessary almost to a point. I agree. And oftentimes I like when horror movies have
1: quote unquote sour endings too. or where the, the, the bad guy wins. Right. Yeah. Um, but this one, we, we, I think we need to see Finney win. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really glad he won. And, uh, we can talk more about the ending cause I have, more thoughts about it, but you know Scott Derrickson doesn't always have his horror movies end with the uh, the good guy or the kid, sure. wing, right? I mean, uh, we we can talk about Sinister a little bit, right? That movie is uh, is dark. Yeah, that movie that movie is is pretty fucked up. I didn't get the chance to revisit it this week, but I watched like some clips on YouTube. Yeah, and that movie is scary as hell. It is. Uh, it's got some of the scariest trailers you can watch. It's got you know I think that uh, oh uh, Goo what what I don't know Boogadoo whatever the, the demon's name is right he can almost be a little bit silly with those strands of hair right and and the look in his eyes and you can almost make it like a rag doll but the way that he pops in and out of the frame and in the back of those like pictures or movies or whatever yeah i think is is terrifying it is i don't think the black phone is that scary it's not scary (laughs) almost at all not at all. There's a couple of jump scares. Yes. Obviously, the mask that uh, Hawks Grabber is working with is, pre- is pretty spooky. It's well designed. I like that the pieces are interchanging. Sometimes the jaw is is loose. Sometimes it's not. And I like it. You know, they, they continue to, to play with it until the end. And it really, I think it really pays off when you right. you finally takes the top half off and you see like the scars and everything. Because mm-hmm. um, I think I think he's got I think. Some, Maybe I was just misreading, but it looked like he had some something going on on his face. It looked like it wasn't quite quite right. Um, but the the mask was, was spooky. There were a couple of jump scares. The biggest jump scare was when uh, the sister is riding her bike and then the kids pop out in front of her. Um, that was scary. But other than that, I, I don't know. I wasn't really white knuckling.
0: Yeah, I wasn't either. The, the one jump scare that really got me was like the first kid to show up in the basement. Yeah. And that was a really cheap one too. It's not like he even did anything scary. The camera literally just panned. I mean, mm-hmm. like as cheap a jump scare as you could possibly have yeah. in a movie. Like there it didn't advance anything. It was literally just flashing. But I I was pretty shocked. And I was even expecting to see a kid at some point down there. Mm-hmm. But I jumped pretty good. It, it almost kind of had me just on edge for the rest of the movie just because I was waiting yeah. for another one of those to to come out. And there was a couple other like, you know freaky-ish visuals i guess down there you know with the with the um young girl who i think definitely. who'd been killed and definitely. but yeah it was it was like eerie at times but even that like it kind of almost had like a light tone a lot did mm-hmm. you did you feel that like even down in the basement in the second half i agree
1: i it agree. felt light at times i definitely agree you know the some of the kids you know uh, when you know the, the When he's down in the basement, he's getting calls on the phone from the previous kids that have been killed, and sometimes they they make little light jokes or something like that, or sometimes they make a lighthearted comment, um, and you've got those scary visuals, but I'd be curious what Derrickson's vision was there, if if he's going for exactly what you're saying. Well, I'll throw a a cheap jump scare here just to keep him on edge, but I don't Mm want to rely on that, or I want to keep things a little bit lighter, I just don't really feel that this story is about that or this Mm -hmm. story needs that I haven't really dug deep into any interviews with him on that because Sinister is full of those you know full
0: of them and like Sinister is incredibly scary Mm. I really think it is I think you're right with that and it's made by somebody who wants to scare you more than even needs to at times because the the plot itself is pretty messed up Without even getting into some of the, like the scarier visuals involved with the movie, mm-hmm. it almost seemed like he was kind of pulling punches in this movie. I'm just very curious, like whether it was something to try to make it a bit more commercial. I mean, like you said, it Maybe. did make a, a lot of money for a small movie, uh, a reasonably small movie um, in its first couple weekends. I don't know. I'm curious because it just seems like he could have made a much scarier version of this movie with yeah. with the central, you know,
1: grabber concept. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the scariest concepts you could imagine—just a yes. child murderer and kidnapper, mm-hmm. right? It's maybe the most terrifying thing um, you know to imagine. Uh, that that also is is real and, and happens, you know. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. We we can move on after this, but they were even marketing it with those movie camp, those movie theater nighttime vision cameras they like, that got popular during Paranormal Activity mm-hmm. and showing people like freak out. There's like only two or three freak out moments <laughs> yeah. in the movie. So it almost feels like they're advertising a, or they're, they're, they're giving people a different vision of what yeah. the movie is. And don't know if it just feels like not everyone's on the same page. And yeah, maybe Derrickson wanted some restraint. Maybe he wanted to pull punches. Maybe there was studio stuff going on. Uh, who knows? But I do think that I, I think that it did play. I, I, I think mm-hmm. I need to sue with it a little bit longer, but I did kind of like that there weren't a ton of those jump scares, but, uh, yeah, but it is, it is still a, a, a terrifying thought. You know, we've got our, yes. our young kid Finney, uh, and he's, he's in this town, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's Maine, but it certainly could be one of Stephen King's, uh, favorite mm-hmm. Maine towns. And he gets grabbed up and ev- everyone seems to know in this town, everyone seems to know that there's a black van, uh, and someone's, someone's going to come and get you. And, yeah. uh, Finney doesn't even seem scared when the black van does approach him, which I find, I, was a little bit odd. He didn't seem okay. too disturbed. He's like, "Oh, I'll help you. You know, grab your your groceries." Yeah. um, maybe maybe needed a little more uh, awareness of the situation there. But uh, the very beginning of the movie, though, is is the baseball game, mm-hmm. and I think that really sets the tone. Did you, it was interesting too that the color grading of this movie is yeah. so is very intentionally made to look like it's the seventies in yeah, that kind of threw me at first, but it wasn't as apparent in the basement. I don't think it's more like with just how the clouds and the sun, you know, cast light onto the baseball field where I was yeah. like, okay, this is a little bit, it was a little much.
0: I thought it, so that, that scene, I'd love to know how it was shot and stuff and, and who directed it because that scene is to me has a completely different, like look than the entire rest of the movie. Like even all the outdoor stuff later on in the movie, you know, biking through the neighborhoods and stuff, I feel like looks different than that opening scene. Yeah. Um, in that, like you're right, they're definitely putting some heavy filters on it, you know, to make mm-hmm. it look like it was the seventies and stuff. Um, I kinda liked it just because I wasn't expecting it, I don't think at first. Like, did you I don't even think going into this movie I knew that it was like a period movie. I had to be no honest. That's a really good point. I I had no idea it was a period piece. Okay, I'm glad. I I thought I I was like am I missing something? I I was hoping like, you know, I wasn't going to be the only one who who had uh gone in just expecting a a modern movie, you know. I said in in like a uh, real time. Yeah. I don't know. But it was um, most
1: of cuz his his clothes like, I mean most of what you see in the movie, at least in the trailers and stuff, is just Finney and the Grabber. Just um, yeah, that's And true. like, I don't know, Finney's wearing like normal kid clothes. Like, yeah, it looks a little bit dated, but I didn't right. think too much about it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, and then you're just in a, in a baseball game uh, with with not a cell phone in sight. You're like, oh, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah. Um, which I did, I did like that. It was you know out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the, you have the opening, and you got a kid on the baseball team who gets grabbed, and then I I want to talk about the opening credits because yes Derrickson rolls out these opening credits that look like an episode of Criminal Minds or something <laughs> it's so it's so jarring yeah. it, it, it's almost like a, like like an episode of True Detective almost yeah. with how the, the the credits looked it didn't feel like a movie at all it was so strange did you notice that
0: so it was incredibly strange i i was seeing some people um like comparing it to the seven opening credits. And if you're going to say that, I feel like yeah. it's almost like it would be the worst type of like impression of, of that style of credit. I don't exactly know. I was very curious about that as well. Cause it seems so intentional, but it does seem like it should be on like CBS on a Tuesday yeah. or something. <laughs> I was, especially coming off that opening sequence. Very, very much. And it, it switched up. Obviously
1: it was switching the tone cause you got happy Kid riding the bike sees the van. It fades to black, and then you've got you know uh, a, a true detective CBS style opening credits. Yeah. But and then we we do get into the story of our main character, uh, our main character Finney, and he's got his sister, his sister Gwen, and their pa. And you know it's 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 a bit of a tough home life for them. Um, what did you think of the performances of specifically of Finney and his sister Gwen? Like I. I, I was a little bit unsure at times and I don't always think they're perfect but I think they're I think they're genuinely like they they genuinely create sympathy or, or empathy whichever term is correct here I forget um for like what they're going through and you are yeah. rooting for them you are feeling their pain and their emotions I don't think derrickson like demands too much from them they don't have to have. I don't know huge emotional speeches or like right. enormous outbursts of, of, of crying or other or something like that. He 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 keeps them you know tragic but not over the top. And I thought I thought they did a pretty decent job.
0: Yeah, so I I'm interested to hear you say that because you are uh, often not the uh, the biggest fan of these child actors and you know honestly I'm not either. So I thought Gwen Madeline McGraw was yeah great like mm-hmm. and she was. It was weird because this movie – we haven't really talked about it, but tonally it would be very different. Like any scenes with the cops felt like they were also in an episode of like Criminal Minds trying Mm -hmm. to solve like a network TV case um, and not doing a very good job. But she cut those scenes beautifully. Like I – honestly, the stuff that – the work that she did um, with uh, um, her dad played by Jeremy Davies Mm -hmm. was – like hard to watch but she was very good and I thought when she was being when she was being funny it was really good like some of the uh, um, comments that she was making at the school when she was first being talked to the kid who played Finney, um, you know was solid but like you said almost no reaction walking up to the black van I think that was by design but also like you know he's just not giving us a ton to work with yeah um, I thought he was I thought you know he was fine. He definitely did not like ruin the movie for me or anything. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like, mean, it just, he didn't give me a whole lot. I, I yeah. guess I should say.
1: I think, I think I agree with that. I don't think any of the kids really ruined the movie. Cause I mean, you no. know, you've got several, you've got several, yes. uh, uh, victims and some other kids from around school. There's one, like there's one like flashback with one of the kids and there's a bunch of kids at the, uh, like the, there's a, the really weird flashback late in the movie. Um, where all of a sudden they're in like like a convenience store and a fight breaks out and it turns yes. out it's Gwen having a like vi- having a vision again with one of the kids that was yes. killed. But she's like seeing him in the moments before death. Very strange. And there's a there's a, again the music in that scene feels mm-hmm. very dazed and confused. Um, kind of felt like Derrickson was trying to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah, and, uh, which I, I I respect. I think it's kind of it was kind of a bold move to have that cutaway in there, but. Yeah, I, I do think that the kids were pretty good. Um, I mean, Madeline McGraw gets maybe the best line of the movie where she gets to say, Jesus, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, in, in prayer. Um, that was, it, it was a good payoff from when she was praying earlier because I was, she pulls out the Bible and I'm like, all right. Like, she's, she's praying. Yeah. She's very pious. And I'm like, I don't know if we need this. And then she cusses him out. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I see why you did that. Um, yeah. So, I, I and I also, kids cussing is always funny. Always oh, funny. You know, I, I I really enjoy, like wondering how they go about negotiating that for their contract and like if their yeah. parents are ever stepping in, like, Oh my kid can cuss, but can't say the F word or right. whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, so bad, bad home life for our kids, um, having, they're having some issues, but the bad home life is stemming from, uh, uh, Madeline McGraw's dreams yes, because she's got some supernatural stuff going on and there's yeah. another Stephen King trope, yes. right? Kids with special abilities, um, adults not understanding, not believing, or punishing them for having special abilities. But of course that, and it, you know, and it's also from it seems like her mom, uh, who I think I don't know if she I think she she took her own life in the in, in mm-hmm. backstory, right? So, special abilities being passed down, yeah, uh, lineage wise is is another trope, but not too annoying. I didn't think I didn't think it. You know, obviously it was it was how they found uh, Fitting and found the Grabber, but it it wasn't shoehorned in and it also wasn't overly explained i guess sometimes or not we, at all yeah wait, not at all yes i <laughs> you're 100% right I, I guess i'm just saying like sometimes these movies they go to great lengths yeah. to detail what the uh, the origin of it is or like oh it's because they were born on this day under this moon or some yeah. like bullshit like that and this movie's just like no nope, she just has dreams
0: and the she grabber, just has like,
1: there's a black phone that you can communicate with kids. Just yeah. don't, don't worry about it. Um, and yes. I kind of like that. I,
0: I I would I would rather have no explanation right. than a dumb over than too much. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, the end of this movie is just so funny to me, partly because of those visions that you're talking about. Like it's so unclear whether people believe them or not. But then they'll act very decisively on these, like, visions. So it's just really funny that they choose not to explain it at all when it's basically (laughs) the entire crux of the movie, you know, basically uh, falls on that. Similar to the phone. You know, there's no, like, you know, the spirits here can't leave because, like, he's put some, like, fucking hex on the house or some shit like that. Like, I do like that, that it's just kind of, like, they're there. They don't remember who they are. They only remember what happened when they were in the room. And, like, that, that idea is really... Um, it's really fun, but I thought Gwen, like, that. she, it's funny to think that, like, the youngest actor knew what the movie was. You know, like, she mm-hmm. seemed to know, like, that this is kind of goofy, and that what she, what she's doing specifically is pretty goofy, and portrayed that, and it's just funny that everyone else around her was, whether it's the two cops or, um, um, her dad, were just so deadly serious every single time, you know, it was brought up. It was just, mm-hmm. uh. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. I agree. I agree. I think it was a good choice.
1: And, and again, I think it was good acting and good understanding yeah. of like who her, who her character was. Um, yes. And I like to, they made a couple of references to like the, that the grabber can sometimes hear the phone, but sometimes can't. And it seemed like maybe they were just kind of playing with the concepts of like belief or faith, right. maybe not necessarily in like a higher power or God, but just in something different and something, mm-hmm. something good, you know, something good versus something evil. Um, but they didn't go to great lengths to say like, oh, it's because the grabber is evil that he can't. It's just right. you just can't hear it, and you just yeah. It, you know, and uh, and yeah. the phone's gonna ring, and the phone's gonna ring even when it's off the hook, even when it's uh you know not connected. It doesn't need any sort of power source. It can be ripped off the wall, and you'll still be able to to hear
0: hear what's going on. So right, anyway, and it's we, just we, like it helps equalize, but. It you know one of the scariest parts of this movie to me is like hearing hearing him talk on the phone, hearing the kids on the other side, and knowing that they also heard the phone and it didn't yeah. help them. It didn't save them. You know, like maybe it helped them you know pass something along to the next child, but um, it's not like it helped everyone escape. There are plenty of kids who heard the phone and still weren't able to uh, you know escape yeah. their evil fate. That's I, I hadn't thought about that as much. Not that. I
1: mean, it made sense. The other kids heard the phone, but almost that they've they've had to keep building on right. their knowledge, and it's like, oh, they've passed on this, and so now the next kid can pass on this. Right. Um, that's fun to think about. It almost like they, it was all it was all in preparation for fitting Almost it was almost they had to wait for wait for him to come along. That's that's an interesting thought. I like that. I wonder if that was maybe more present in the original story or something that. I know that they, there is a possibility of a sequel because, of course, I mean, it's what else you right. expect. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that uh, Joe Hill, who wrote the story, pitched Derrickson on a, a sequel, and Derrickson said it's awesome, or you know, because they have to say. Yeah, it. right. I don't know where, and we can we can bring this back up when we talk about the ending. I don't really know where a sequel goes, but it almost feels like a prequel would make a, make a little bit more sense. But anyway, yeah.
0: Finney's no. kidnapped. He is.
1: He's in, he's in the basement, and we spend like a lot of time. In that a basement. A lot. And, I mean, it is what it is, right? It's not the most exciting basement. There's not a ton of, like, creativity with how Derrickson with how mm-hmm. shoots it. So you get a lot of the same shots of the grabber coming to the door with half a mask, bringing mm-hmm. food, shots of the bathroom. Um, and Finney's got, you know, he comes around eventually to understanding what the phone is and getting the gist of what's going on. And mm-hmm. lots of creative escape attempts, lots of digging under, the, uh, digging a tunnel here or Breaking down a wall here, flushing dirt down the toilet. Um, he, he's really a resourceful kid. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pretty. He's pretty smart, and he like picks up on what the the other kids are telling him. But it's almost like he's building on them, right? It's almost like he uh, is take can, can take things to the next level. Like, I mean, at the end, I think he takes things to the next level and is able to uh, kind of be a bit creative with with how he uh, approaches the grabber. But you, this character of the grabber, Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. We love Ethan Hawke on the on this show. We love uh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he is he is fantastic. He does. He, sometimes he just gets some horror movies to keep the lights on, and I mm-hmm. respect that. And this he, this movie will help him keep the lights on. I'm sure he yeah is making a ton of money from. Him. I'm sure he got profit points, yes. and I'm sure he's 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 just fine. It's an interesting performance. It's not as scary as I thought it would be, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. At times, he seems like he's trying to bring a very hurt persona. Mm-hmm. He, when, when he's talking to Finny, he's talking a lot about this, this game of naughty boy, um, which is disturbing. Yeah. But it definitely seems like, oh, you came from a really bad place. Like there's yeah. some shit happened to you as a kid. Like, I don't think that you don't just wake up like, like the grabber does. Um, and I, I, again, I expected more of a backstory. Glad I didn't get it. Glad that I could just read into a, a, a demented person really fucked up in the head, but maybe we don't know
0: why. Maybe all that matters is that he is fucked up in the head. yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting take. The performance is very, very wild, really. I mean, if you like it's not that scary, like you said. Even though he's a man who literally kills children and and admits to it on screen, um, it's extremely like theatrical. Like mm-hmm. he's doing a lot of hand stuff. It kind of looks like he's he's doing Shakespeare soliloquies on a stage, performing, mm-hmm. and and that's what he seems to kind of view that basement as. It seems like Ethan mm-hmm. Hawke made a you know concerted decision to be like. I'm the only adult in this one room and we're going to do 10 scenes out of a, you know, 35 scene movie more than that, 20 scenes out of a 35 scene movie right here. So like, I really need to eat up this space and um, I like what he's doing. It almost made me, I was kind of craving a little bit, not the fullback story. Like I don't need a flashback or anything, but a little something to dig into just like, he's making so many choices. I I was just interested Mm. in, you know, Hear like what he, as his character, felt were the were the reasons for those choices. Because it's not only that, yeah, he's playing these games with these kids and and you know mentally and physically torturing them before he kills them and seems to get some sort of pleasure out of it, while also having some sort of like you know problem in his own head with with the the acts that he commits, and then combining that with like being this super theatrical, almost like childlike. Um, figure. I yeah. don't know. It, it was just very interesting. I was just I was so curious to know like why Ethan Hawke felt his character would have would have acted like he was in, you know, the high school production of like um Midsummer's Night's Dream or something like that.
1: Yeah. That's a that's that's really good. That's a really good way to describe the performance. I, I again I like it. And I like I do that too. Ethan Hawke does weird shit like this, right? Uh Maybe unexplainable shit, right? I'm sh- maybe he's. It wouldn't surprise me if he has a backstory in his own mind for the 100%. character. A Hundred percent, right? right? Has to, has. And to. it's it's you know he's his different affectations, like you said with the hands. Sometimes his voice is up here, yeah. Like especially when he's kidnapping Finney, his voice mm-hmm. is very lilting and high. And I guess it yeah. it makes sense because he's trying to be a magician, right? Yeah. But either way, it's 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 definitely a choice. Yeah. Um, and when he's sitting upstairs, like, with the, uh, I think yes. he's got, like, a belt in his lap, belt
0: shirtless. Yes. And he's got the full mask There's on. There's no way that was him, right? Is Ethan Hawk jacked? I don't know. That's that dude, good like, looked big. Like, he wasn't just, big. like, in good shape. He looked like, like, just yoked. like Yes. His, his and arms and chest were huge. They were huge.
1: And they stood out, and they were also, like, eerily smooth. Like yes. I'm thinking, I, I didn't think about this until just now, but there was like no hair on his right. on, on anywhere on his chest, and it was. Uh, I think that I think that helped make it a little bit more unsettling, and also also with the uh, with the mask, how it can go from uh, he's got different pieces that smile and frown. Yeah. Oh, when the frowny face comes out. I like out. that. Ooh, that shit is scary. Um, it was.
0: It was. That was one of the best. Like, that felt like one of the best thought out parts of the whole movie were, were I, some of those payoffs and it seemed like that was stuff that they really thought about and and really you know were deciding on when to break those out and it kind of added to like that like this is the most fucked up game of all time sort of feel that yes. you were getting at
1: yes i i there were some people saying that they thought the mask was like fake scary which i don't even know like i think i know what they mean by that that it's like right. cheap
0: Right, it's like it's not the man who's scaring him, it's the, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's, it's. but I don't know, I, I do maybe
0: I'm scared. I just him. kind of missed Ethan talk, Ethan Hawke's face, honestly, I, sometimes, when he was, at times, I just kind of wish he took it off, maybe it would even be a little bit creepier, like, it's like his way of, like, you know, becoming more personal with the person, is kind of removing that, like, um, blockade between them, but... Mm-hmm. I just was really interested to know what he was doing with his entire face when he was doing that those uh, those talks down in the basement, just because the rest of the performance was so like kind of over the top. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
1: we're in the basement. Gwen yeah. is having her dreams. She's she's at one point like sits down for a talk with her dad and all of a sudden her dad is very sober and reasonable which that was just a little
0: bit strange
1: that, that is, I, the dad character was all over the place
0: all over the place i was was talking to my brother after he saw the movie and first of all i have to give another shout out i'm pretty sure i did what last week but jeremy davies um shout out uh boyd crowder from fx's hit show justified mm. as i think i plugged uh once or twice you, on the podcast. Justify. Who was it? Tim- no, it wasn't Timothy Oliphant. Who it was a- uh, Walton Goggins when we were talking Walton about April 8. From April Eight. Yes, Great. yes. Um, but perfect shitbag in Justified, they they clearly are carrying that over into this one. Like there there is a reason that he is playing this character. I truly feel. Um, but yeah, all over the place, and then a couple times, kind of sweet, you know, good night, like I love you, and you, mm-hmm. hey, I didn't exactly know what they were going for with him. Um, but he did make some funny faces when he was frustrated, uh, you know, about the daughter talking to the police and stuff. When when they do that that insane slow mo shot into the living room when she's like first being talked to by the two detectives and he's kind of standing over her, like looking forlorn.
1: It was, was weird ass shot. It was like Why? a
0: minute and a half long slow motion like tracking shot where they're like tracking in around the corner and then coming in on them it was really strange but it was like very much derrickson directing the shit out of it he I, really wanted that slow motion in he really there. did he, he, he likes to make choices he, he he definitely does and he and he makes a lot of choices and I think part of it is, like you said, you know, they're working with, what, maybe three indoor sets in the entire Mm -hmm. movie, four indoor sets, uh, because there's a couple rooms in the school. Um, So I think that he's definitely doing what he can to make the most of the space that he has, too. Was this a COVID production, do you know? I assume it was over the last couple years. You know, I don't know. I feel like
1: I remember seeing it advertised for a really long time. but I don't actually know if it was filmed. It it would make sense that it was filmed during COVID just based on the number of people. And, you know, typically when, you know, there's a number of people in a shot together and on set together, um, you know, it's, we're going to have to like break down and really think about like how COVID quote quote, unquote COVID productions like affect quality of things and just like, does it, does it hurt to just not have as many sets and not as many people and a limited, like, or does it actually help? You know, is it actually better for you to have limited resources? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure someone should, someone I'm sure is doing some like heavy research and literature on that and like, Mm -hmm. you know, what it means for direction and, and art and creativity and all that. But anyway, um, really what a lot of this movie, the, entire second and most third actor just in the basement he's training he's eventually he he starts learning how to fight and he uh packs the the, the finney packs the black phone with some dirt to help him get a good swing on the grabber because they really want to they want to help break him out um and then so but i guess before we come to the ending uh there is another character i want to talk about and that's uh that's my guy james ranson um as as the brother of the, the brother
0: grabber, yeah which
1: was a really strange twist. I don't know if it worked, but uh, Ziggy Sabatka from The Wire, one of the maybe one of the most the, the most hated character on that show. I mm-hmm. love that character, personally. I think he's hilarious, but he he's a Derrickson alum from Sinister. Um, yep. and he is he he does a really good like what if Jake Chillen Hall was on meth. <laughs> That's, that's that's. I don't fair. know if that's all of his characters, but this one it re, it really is because he's not quite as skinny as he used to be. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so he looks a little bit closer to Jillian Hall. looks a little more filled out, but he he's de- he. I mean, he's doing coke in the movie, right? And right. Uh, he's he's looking. He's he's like a like a true crime enthusiast who's trying to find the grabber, and he's come to his his brother's hometown where the grabber is, unbeknownst to him. Uh, his his brother is the grabber, and then he. There's, a, there's another really slow – it's not slow motion, but a really slow-moving scene where he comes to find Finney in the basement. Yes. It takes a really long time of him moving through the house, and I don't know how he missed that in his own home. I don't understand, <laughs> like – I don't understand what that relationship is with his brother. Like, either. that entire side of the house is just locked off, and he's like, okay, man. Yeah. A little bit strange. Even just, like, the – the like, physics not, – not physics, but the um, – architecture of the home is a little bit Small strange. House. It doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite make sense. But anyway, his character is fantastic. Uh, he ends up, uh, discovering Finney in his own basement at the end. Unfortunately, his brother, the grabber is right behind him and, and disposes of him. And then we kind of get this, this final showdown,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where we do get to see. So the, the top half of the mask is finally off and we see like Ethan Hawke's like eyes and forehead for the first time. Um, and it's showdown time and it's it's not a long showdown. Mm-mm. It's pretty pretty quick, and it's it there's it's it's a I don't know if I want to say it's anticlimactic, because I think we kind of know I, I I had a pretty good feeling that Finney was gonna win. I had a pretty he good did. feeling that there was too much riding on him, right? And mm-hmm. these kids helping him out. I didn't think it was gonna be such a feel-bad movie in that sense. So anticipated Finney coming out on top, but he just Kind of kills him. It doesn't seem like the grabber has great like reflexes and motor skills, right? Um, which I guess maybe makes sense because if he goes after like small kids, like they're not as they're they're not you know that yeah. adept either. Always they're they're small, um, and he wears them out. I'm sure and you know and right. puts confined spaces, but uh, he he the grabber's not
0: not adept at fighting, and Finny kind of overpowers him and then takes care of him it's kind of a no contest and it does seem like this is sort of what I meant by pulling punches. Like it seemed like the writers of this movie and Derrickson decided him being held for two weeks, you know, Finney being held was, was enough. Like he, he'd already faced enough and Mm. he just needed to get that quick W. Um, And that's part of like my issue with the movie is like the basement never felt physically scary. Like Mm. it never seemed like he was in that much danger of being hurt. Even though we knew all these other kids had been hurt down there. Um, in the movie itself, like, the way he used the basement, it always felt, like, pretty light in there. And it kind of led into that final scene where it was just like, I don't know, this seems like a, a good spot for Finny. <laughs> seems like he does pretty well in this basement. You know, he knows his way around and mm-hmm. and uh, never seems to be, was never concerned when, when the grabber entered the room beforehand. Never, you know, he would cower a little bit, but almost more like... I out of show to to kind of, like, act the part of, of a victim, knowing that he has, you know, the benefit of, of the kids helping him on the phone. Um, but it kind of led into that last scene. Yeah, it was a bit anticlimactic, I agree, partly because it just never really felt like he was in that much danger,
1: did as far he ever as get
0: goes. Yeah, did he ever even get hurt? Did he ever, like... He, he fell, fell down like off the scratches? window one time, right? Like, that yeah. was the big, when when he pulled the the gate off. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The
1: grabber never like really hurts him. Besides, no. like when he when he, he he does have the brief escape, and the grabber like grabs him by, and he's like, yes. "I'll, I'll gut you" or whatever. Um, but doesn't do anything. Like, there's not no. even like a like, there's a few scratches, but he doesn't break his arm. You know, he doesn't. No. Uh, he doesn't even like sprain his ankle when he falls from the no. gate and like has to deal with that the rest of the film. Right. Um, he's right. weak and and starved. Yeah. But physically, he he comes out pretty okay. Not really a, a lick on him, and he. he Pretty much, just he he, he like breaks the uh, the grabber's leg with his little yeah. booty trap. He like kind of home alones. Yeah, he <laughs> does the basement. He does, and it pays off, and then he can use the uh, he hits you know, stake to distract the dog. You know, I thought I thought that was kind of yeah. funny. Um, but yeah, and then the movie's just and then that's it, and then the grabber is done for.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was it, and you know the big. The shining, you know, the one shining moment of the movie was him being taught to, you know, swing the black phone. And they did, Mm -hmm. like, a sort of almost, like, you know, Rocky Creed-style montage of him, like, you know, over and over swinging. And then about 30 seconds later, he uses the move, you know, Mm and (laughs) swings and and hits the grabber, and that's about it. And then it is, like, a little – another dazed and confused feeling kind of moment when he tosses that stake. It did feel very much like we need to, you know, sneak into the principal's, like – backyard for some reason or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah it, it and then it just just kind of ended and and they're doing the cross-cutting i guess we should mention too right with with um the cops mm-hmm. also arriving at, at what we think is the house um yes. because of the visions of um finney's sister and at that point they are completely believing gwen um, mm-hmm. foregoing all need for warrants or um, anything Correct. of the such to to bust into the home. Uh, I don't that, know. Maybe, that, maybe warrants were different in the '70s. Maybe, maybe. Well, they probably, yeah, they probably didn't care much, I guess, at the time. I don't know exactly what the, uh, um, you know, constitutional uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> adherence really of local Well, they really about was. warrants
1: now either. But I think that we're so inundated yeah. with like. With both true crime and just like realistic like crime, yeah. yeah, like like the Law and Order stuff, where it's right. like, oh, they need the war. That's so ingrained yeah. in our minds, and it's like Ice I Cube's like, you can't
0: go in there. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> come back with a letter from the judge. You know, like SDU exactly. type stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: but yeah, they, they, he's the grabber has two houses, so they go to the wrong house, find the find the bodies, mm. but. Uh, finney has got to make his way out himself, which I did. I did like that. I did like yes. that he basically got himself out, and you know, I he, he he remembered like the lock and was able to get it out there, and uh, you know, used his own resources with you know with the help of some some phone ghosts. Yeah. Um, but he he gets to come out and he gets to be reunited with his sister, and it's a it's a happy ending. And then he mm-hmm. he goes to school and he's all confident, sits next to the girl he likes and says, like, Call Me Finn, I think is, like, the last movie, Um, which is, like,
0: cheesy, but I I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the ending as well. And it it kind of fit in with the whole, you know, there he is, just right back in school. Just, like, sort of like nothing ever happened. You know, a couple kids were like, oh, is that the kid, you know? And then pops into the same seat, same classroom, goes back to trying to, you know, fit in as a 13-year-old in this small town, you know, surrounded by the woods. Um, Yeah. You know, in a different movie he's like scarred cuz he just killed a man, but
1: the Grabber is I don't think his humanity is is that in, you know. No. He 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 has the shape of a human, you know, we see we obviously see his bare chest and his arms. Yeah. And we see his his so and then also it's interesting because for a moment there he rips the mask off of the Grabber completely for the first time and he like covers his face with his hands and he starts screaming. As right. if he's being blinded or exposed or something like that. I, I wasn't sure. You know, you can find a lot of different meanings with that, but I didn't. You know, I wasn't sure exactly what Derrickson had in mind there. Um, but yeah, it's it definitely seems like he he didn't kill a man. He killed uh, evil. he, he killed yes. like an evil spirit, a demon.
0: Yeah, he like um, eradicated evil. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So again, very Stephen Kingy. Um, yeah. I don't really know how a sequel works for this. If one's been talked about. Yeah. I mean, unless it's some sort of either prequel or some sort of combo prequel sequel, I don't I don't know. Unless like it really I don't you know, there's supernatural stuff here, but I don't think there's supernatural stuff in that the grabber gets resurrected. It's not like a Michael Myers kind of thing.
0: I I was going to say, let's let's have uh, Gwen go off and become Vera Farmiga from The Conjuring series. (laughs) Okay. I can work with that. Um, so, so, so maybe there is some sort of like think, evil spirit work happening. I'm thinking it family. almost has to be like Gwen spinoff, because she has like the the you know kind of unexplained power that, like we said, sort of was the catalyst for this movie, even in this story. Yeah, that's um, true. So maybe something there, but I don't know. You know, I mean, Ethan Hawke and Blumhouse are a uh, dynamic duo when it comes to making cash, so I'm sure they, they can really figure. Are. Something out. It, like you said, I don't know if they're actually going to bring the the grabber back, but I'm sure Ethan Hawke would be executive producing. We can count on that.
1: So, so it's a Gwen spinoff. And so, what if, what if it's like a flash forward? She's now, you know, a detective in the future, and you know, she's got the special ability that she uses sometimes. But like, she can't really, she can't really tell people about. Uh, almost like, uh, so uh, uh, kind of like in Malignant, right? Yeah. Where, uh, you know, our main character, she can see things and she's using it with the cops. But maybe Gwen is is a cop herself, has to keep the dreams under under wraps, has to use like her actual cop skills to 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 manufacture it all together and put a story together. Mm. Um, But she's she's helping out there. And, you know, maybe they pull like a. Like a, like a pseudo Benoit Blanc and Ethan Hawke returns, but not as the grabber. He's just some other, you know, uh, spirit of evil and something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there you I, go. Would I want to see Ethan Hawke in that? Yeah, but I don't know if that makes sense for the story. So,
0: hey, I'm not sure, but any propaganda that that Chip is creating himself, I feel like is uh, is worth the watch. <laughs> I'm happy to see Little Gwen become a cop. Oh, my gosh. What, no, what that, can I say? That, that would be it, though. You Yeah, yeah. use their powers. Maybe it does just go full, like, knives, the third Knives Out sequel is just uh, mm. you know, a crossover event. Mm. There you go. Well, is Ethan Hawke in the new Knives Out?
1: Isn't he, maybe? I feel like he could be. I legit, I'm, I'm going to have to Google it. I mean, that cast is so ridiculous. It's Batista yeah. and, and Norton. Hold on. Knives Out. Ethan Hawke. He has a cameo in Knives Out too. How about that? Yep. Wow. There it is. There it is. in the family. Cool. Also, what if, I, I could totally see him lying and it's not a cameo and he's like the the
0: he is like the killer at the end. Yeah. Like the that would, that would be very cool. I I've already seen and and I probably do this too much on this podcast talking about like things that I've seen or you know what people are saying like that you know hashtag people are saying. Um, I've already seen a little bit of like *Knives Out* revisionism, and, and I, I really expected that to come right before two came out, with just because it seemed to be so universally liked, at least if not loved. Um, just some people like, you know, *Knives Out* one wasn't actually good, type stuff
1: out there. That's, I think that's pretty silly. Going to be honest, I, I, think, that's, I, think, I think so that's too. Pretty silly.
0: It, it feels like a. I mean, I I can't imagine myself being burned out on Knives Out. You know, we'll see when like six and seven are rolling around and uh, Ryan Johnson is, you know, James Cameron rich, but (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, at least not yet.
1: Um, I I think we'll probably have to do a Knives Out 2 pod when it comes out. Absolutely. No, maybe, maybe actually Ethan Hawke's cameo is he he is playing the grabber. Uh, Maybe, maybe that is what's happening. So, but uh, do you have any more thoughts on, on, on the black phone?
0: I, so my only thought would be, and and this is just kind of like the um, some of the like inside baseball stuff that we talk about, but like this is the movie that Scott Derrickson made after leaving, you know, Multiverse of Madness, the latest yes. Doctor Strange movie that that's Rabie ended up taking over, and supposedly it was because Derrickson wanted to make that movie too scary. I mean, that was that was the report um, that that he and Feige, you know, weren't getting along because um, Derrickson just wanted to make it more of an actual horror. And of course, like Mm -hmm. the MCU is trying to make everything accessible for everyone. They're not trying to cut off any audiences. Yeah. So it's interesting that he came to do this one and we didn't think this one was necessarily really scary. Like you'd almost think you would make like a sinister level. Like I'm just trying to freak everyone out as much as possible. And Mm -hmm. that's my main goal. And it did not seem like that was his main goal here.
1: I agree. I agree. It's a very different tone than that. And who knows? You know, who knows how scary um, is too scary for the MCU? I haven't seen the new Doctor Strange. It's I've seen like some clips and it doesn't seem it doesn't not seem that too scary, particularly scary. Not um, that scary. There's definitely some interesting like Raimi visuals and like effects yes. that are going on, but nothing that scary. And, you know, what, Raimi's horror is a bit more. Um, it, it, it's it's not the it's not Derrickson, horror, right? Mm-hmm. They make completely different kinds of horror. They do. So maybe it was just like the tone or maybe the, the kind yeah. that wasn't right. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the behind the scenes were uh, for that. So and Scott Scott Derrickson is, is a character. Um, his his Twitter presence is, can be a bit much. It may, maybe he was just like a bit of a tough hang to work with because I think he did the first one. And maybe Kevin Feige was like, I just don't want to do this with you again, man. You're just you're you're you're, you're getting on my nerves for yeah. whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I, back to the black phone. I mean, I I did like the movie. Yeah. I'm happy I got to see it. I'm happy that a lot of people saw it. You know, this this summer has been really good for movie theaters. It's not just Top Gun Maverick. You know, it's it's Minions: The Rise of Gru is doing really well at the box office. Yep. Yeah, now, this movie, The Black Phone did really well at the box office and horror movies are always going to have that draw, but people are people are out and about. Yeah. And uh, you know, I that's really exciting and encouraging and uh, if we get more you know, B level horror movies into mm-hmm. theaters. I think that's that's a win for everyone. I think horror movies can find plenty of niches on streaming services. You've got places like Shudder. Netflix will always be pumping out original horror for better or for worse. But uh you know this is this is this is a good thing. And yeah. I'm okay with kind of the B stuff rolling out if it just means that we we get this experience uh to keep to keep
0: being alive for us. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Happy this movie exists, happy it exists in a theater setting, had a good time seeing it in a theater. I, I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning, but I did see it in one that had quite a few people in it. And mm-hmm. it made for a good time. Like a couple people, yeah. you know, were a little annoying, like talking to each other about about some of the, the jump scares and stuff. But honestly, that's kind of part of, of the charm of going yes. to um, a horror movie. So I, I did enjoy that aspect and I'd, I'd happy, happily see it again. I'm really looking forward to the next Ethan Hawke horror movie. He seems to make one every few years and mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to, um, the next Derrickson one and it might be together. Yep. This is now the second one, second that they've done together. Yeah. Yep. Ten, um, ten, 10 years apart too. Sinister was yeah. 2012. So, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, i I'd definitely watch this movie again or, or
1: any movie like it. I think I think I would watch it again. It I maybe not right away, but I think like, yeah. you know, it's it's a really good. If I'm flipping the channels and the black phone is on, it's like oh, yep. you know, uh, James Ranson's about to have a scene. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's about to snort coke in front of in front of the cops or something. Exactly. Like that. And, or or you know that I think that that breakout scene, um, where he has to sneak past him with a combination, is probably the best like the scariest scene in the movie and most tense and something like that. Um, yeah. That's the black phone. I think I think we, we we like it to a degree. You know, you you have you were hesitant to say you like it, but uh, not a bad time. Not a bad time at all to put it in. You know, that's a negative way, but not a bad time. So thank yeah. you, thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, give us a follow on all the socials, flick and scream on Twitter, flicking and screaming on Instagram. Check out the website. Check out our personal Twitters. Mm-hmm. Check out you know everything everything we got going on next week. I think we've teased this one already, but we're gonna tease <laughs> it again here. It's time for The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, one of the premier movies of the year 2007, one of our favorite years uh, in movies ever, but this is a two and a half hour uh, Western, mm-hmm. anti-Western character drama, Roger Deakins explosion of, of shit that we like, and yes, we're going to talk about it. So I'm, I'm really excited. I rewatched this movie. I'll probably rewatch it again, because it was a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and just just blown away by it again so very excited to talk with you guys about it and you have to say even more about it so
0: uh any final thoughts before we before we part no that's i'm really excited i know we teased it out before but i think you know assassination of jesse james is a great movie to to kind of have a build-up for Um, it's going to be a great episode and we're coming up on you know two-year anniversary of um flicking and screaming and and mm-hmm. we'll definitely have some good stuff coming next month as well um yes. just to, maybe, just to maybe we'll just do, maybe we'll do like jaws four times next month or something like yeah, exactly month exactly. of
1: jaws uh we could even do jaws 3d in there somewhere but <laughs> yes for flicking and screaming evan Figundis, jt chipman good night everyone
0: see ya and now, the starting lineup for your... Game stage, what's up guys? I'm a slacker. Baby. <laughs> I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.